Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson. Happy hump day, big guy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, I got a little, uh, little, little extra bonus tonight. Class got let out early, so I had a little, uh, little more time than I had planned. So we're we're rolling and rocking tonight on time. Um, ready to talk a little bye week shenanigans here and see what we can uh, we can chop up and figure out about this offense, man. <laughs> a bye week banner, some self reflection tonight, some digging into the statistics, some reviewing press conferences and digging into Brian had a great time today. Brian got to dig into the essentially foundation of the foo offense. Um, uh, did, did a little history project today, guys. History pro history project <laughs> brought on by some conversations we heard earlier this week with Gerard Evans. And then just me getting very bored <laughs> uh, yeah. me, me getting bored last night Cur- curtis getting- is like take a look at this i was like i'll take a look at it now i'm gonna look at four other games and then <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna put this into the into the show tonight so i, I triggered brian because i'm sitting here <laughs> this is kind of what happened what we're gonna go about later on the episode i'm literally sitting here saying i wonder if the Foo offense is the same as it was a decade ago when he was scoring 43 points plus a game at TCU. So I essentially were, I was able to find a full game play with pretty much an all 22 view and the side view. I sent it to Brian. We go through like 15 minutes looking at plays. A couple things Brian immediately says, why aren't we doing this now? Um, <laughs> we're going to get into that. But what we're going to do first, guys, is we're going to go deep dose some statistics about what we're seeing on offensive and defensive side of the ball. And then we're going to go into the pressers with foo, ham, and corn. Sounds like a uh, Christmas, uh, uh, Thanksgiving dish right there. I want some foo, ham, corn. And then we're going to have – Is that turducken? Is that, is that what it looks is like? Turducken, but you get your sides as well. Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> And then we're going to go look at that tape along with making some picks for some games this weekend. We are not going to be here Sunday. This is the bye week at Hokies. So, like the Hokies, we're practicing in the middle of the week, and we're going to get the weekend off, clear our heads. Um, we're still giving you picks this week, guys. So you are. <laughs> you can flip a coin against our picks. Hey, I'm, I'm better than a coin flip now, I'm guys. Coin flip. Hey, I'm better than after, a coin flip. After a three and nine start with my current record, hold on. If you had been betting with me after the absolutely horrendous start, I was three and nine. <laughs> I am, let's see, three and nine. I'm 18 and 12 against the spread after week one. I'm a 66. So you're you're doing pretty good once you got a little bit of data. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, let's kick it off here, Brian. Let's kick it off. Let's look at the defensive side of the ball, and let's throw the first two stats on a thread and talk about is this. Third down conversion, Hokies, to me, this is elite territory. 28.8% conversions against them, 15th in the country, and they're only giving up 71 first downs. And in four games, folks, that's roughly about 16, 17 a game, which when you start talking about – People aren't converting. Plus, you have a guy like Peter Moore. Shout out Peter Moore. Freshman, 29th in the country with 42 yards net. 
even teams that are moving the ball, Brian, you know, they're not getting far and they're not converting on third down. So great start for our defense, right? Absolutely. Great start for the defense on third down. And as you said with Peter Moore, um, when you look at the statistics, I think another thing they're showing is that we're doing a great job in average starting field position for our defense. One time. Yeah. One time over on the other side of the field. One time. And, and that and that's huge. That's that's definitely playing into our advantage there. Anytime you can make uh your the other team have to drive, you know, sixty five plus yards to score a touchdown every time, you're doing something right. Exactly. Um and, and and that's regardless of whether it's kickoff, punt, whatever. We're we're doing a good job of making them have to start fairly deep in their own territory with every drive. And that, that definitely ups the chances of the defense being able to get off the field without surrendering any points. And they've been doing that as they've been doing that as well, Brian. Um scoring off scoring defense is fifteenth in the country, borderline elite, fifteen point two five a game. And that's including we haven't stopped on anybody in the red zone yet. Teams are seven for seven in the red zone, four touchdowns, three field goals. So statistically, we are not we're literally at the bottom of the barrel because every time they get down there, they score, unfortunately. But in four games, to only have seven red zone trips, I'd take that. Okay, you're not getting in there. Either you're going to have yep. to beat the long plays or you're kicking long field goals. Yeah, and I mean, I'd like to see maybe that that four and three swapped. I'd like to see four field goals against three touchdowns. But the 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 num the total number with seven trips I mean that's good over the course of uh, four games so I'll take that all day especially since we've only surrendered really you know a handful of big plays um, on defense as well well three yeah the Carolina screen the long run in West Virginia and the corner smash in West Virginia along with their fifty plus yard field goal so even when teams again and there's only what one over forty yard 40-plus-yard touchdown. Yeah. So we're not seeing what we were seeing last year. or We're not the, seeing those big gash runs. We're, no. You know, you'll, they'll occasionally bust a 15-yarder on us, but we're not giving up consistently those big gashers of 30-plus of that are going for touchdowns. Exactly, and that's what was killing this defense last year. And, and you know, with that stopping the tacklings better, essentially – People can throw things, and and I hope somebody comments something in the chat. Dax is playing his natural position, and Tiz is playing his natural position. They're both playing eighty five percent of the time. They're not. They're no longer sharing uh, snaps, so they're not splitting snaps. And Dax is playing a position that he's comfortable with. And we saw him out on the field a whole lot more against Richmond than we have previous weeks, yep. because they were a more of a run first offense, especially yep. once. Uh, Mancuso went down on the first drive there. Uh, they were pretty, they were very much a run first offense, and that meant that we didn't necessarily need uh, that true nickel package um, that we've been deploying against some of the other teams that like to sling the ball around a lot more. Exactly. Now the the, the last few things I'm going to throw on with the the defense here. Um, total defense. We just put that out there first. 47th at 326 yards. Very respectable. Up close to 60 positions from last year and where we were. So okay. kudos on that. Having a full offseason is definitely helpful. But the, the other pieces I want to take a look at here is we forced six turnovers, 50th in the nation. 
And what do you usually look at, Brian? What do you want to know about when you hear about forcing a fair number of turnovers in the first course of four games? What are you thinking? Pressure. And this team's getting pressure. Okay. I like that. 25th in the country in sacks, three and a quarter a game. 45th in the country in tackles for loss at 6.8 a game. So, you know, like I think Richmond had a total of like 62 plays. Do the math, and if you're if you're averaging ten, if you're averaging ten times getting in the backfield, then basically twenty percent of the time you can book we're getting there. Yeah. Not twenty. What do we? I wish there was the stat out here. PFF probably has it. I'd love to go see it. Hits and pressures. If you're getting there 20 percent of the time with sacks and tackles for loss, how much more additional pressure you're putting on that defense? So bad throws, forced fumbles. Five interceptions total. Obviously, Jermaine Waller leading the way um, and one of the top guys in the country. So, yeah. D- defense tells – go ahead. I was going to say, you know, we, we, we've talked about the last few weeks that we haven't necessarily seen, you know, the stat sheet filled up by Barno, but it looks like the impact of the defensive line as a whole is there. And, you know, Barno's impacting the game in different ways that aren't necessarily – showing up on the stat sheet, but we definitely need to get him involved a little more in terms of um, getting back there in the, uh, in the backfield again, like we saw kind of the start of the season. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. Jay Ham addressed that a little bit in the press conference. So we'll talk yep. about that a little bit more, but it's nice to see the Hokies getting pressure on the quarterback again, getting tackles for loss, disrupting the, the running game. Uh, Cause a lot of that was absent um, really last few years. Um, but last year in particular particular last year so in general as we look at all the data points and what we've seen on the field with the defense it makes sense this is you know i know total defense is 47 but you start going through all these stats do you say we're a top 25 defense so yeah i mean we're we're up there and um you know i think we talked about it uh when we look at whether we talk about total defense or or points i care more about points yes because and, if if you're keeping points off the board, you can move move between the your 30. own twenty and our forty all day. But you know <laughs> we're gonna lock it down. As long as we lock it down after that, it's all good to me. Get that 45, 50 yards of offense, and then get nothing out of it. So again, you know, scoring it's elite. And if you take away a couple of those big plays, it would we'd probably be in the top five. But some things to work on. Not perfect on defense yet, but definitely some things to work on. All right. I'm going to go to the, the offense now because okay. that ain't as good. And l- let's go with the two things we're doing actually okay. Okay. Um, what you got? First of all, we've only had four turnovers all year, 36 in the country. We are not just handing the ball to teams which is good because the way the defense is playing. The way the defense is playing, um, if you don't turn the ball over, you you don't necessarily put them in bad spots. They get they get the ball back to you pretty quick. Yeah. Now, the other, believe it or not, this is not a bad statistic on this one. Third down conversions, we're 40th in the country. We're converting about 45% of our third downs. Um yeah. But I know something me and you talked about, and it's going to go into this. We're only getting 78 first downs 
for the year. So we're only getting about 19 a game. And we just talked about our defense giving up about 16, 17 a game. We're not far behind. So I know you talked about the Richmond game, Brian, in particular, a little earlier this week about, you know, it's it's cool to be able to convert their downs. But you're tired of it, right? Yeah, Middle Tennessee State and Richmond, we got to third down way more than we should have. Um, there's no reason that we should not have been successful at a higher rate on first and second down where we weren't forced into so many third down opportunities. Um, converting on third down opportunities is important, and it's a good tune-up for um, some of those harder matchups that we're going to face starting next week with yep. Notre Dame. Um, but at the same time, we, we should be able to assert ourselves against a Richmond or a Middle Tennessee State and not get forced into situations where we're having to convert on third down at such a rate that we have. Yeah. And it, it's, it's just, it's one of those things. It's like, we don't have those explosive plays where we're getting 15, 20 yards a pop five to six times a game. But essentially against teams like that, that's how you crush them quick. Yeah. All right, Brian, I've done the good. Okay. The next bad and ugly it's it's just bad and ugly it's not bad then ugly it's just <laughs> it's all bad and ugly it's a combination yes, all bad and ugly um let's start with this man yeah the red zone efficiency we're 107th out of 130 some teams we are only converting 64 percent of our red zone uh you know we've only had 14 trips we've converted nine obviously there's three we know about but in general even though that like you can say, well, that game really skews it. It's you also sit here, you take those out. It's like six or eleven. You're still about at the same percentage in the other three games. And luckily for us, the defense has been balling because we've left so many points on the field. And I know Fuente talked about it, right? Yep. I mean, I mean, can we just start? Let's just count how many potential on field. We'll say it. We'll go high number. 21 points at West Virginia, right? Yeah. What would we say, 14 points at North Carolina? I'd say at least, at least 14 in North Carolina. And then probably seven each for Richmond and Middle Tennessee. You agree? You agree there's been a, there was a couple, the, the Peter Moore bluff up, the getting behind on the chains when we were driving. You're like, okay – Start doing the math, and it's like, okay, 30. The next thing you know, it's like it's 50 points maximum we left on the board. You throw 50 points on there, our, our, our dismal scoring offensive numbers, 99th in the country. We got 99 problems, and scoring is definitely one. 23 and a half a game. Yeah. I mean – we, we we just got to get better. I mean, we we've missed a couple field goals that were give me chip shots um, because we we're on the wrong hash for good or ill. I mean, that's at this point we that shouldn't be a problem, but the fact that yeah. it is uh, means that we need to start adjusting to it. Right, um, mm-hmm. take that into account. And you know, it's bad enough not converting. It's it's even worse when you when you leave points on the field uh, in the kicking game. So that's kind of doubled down on our our lack of success in the red zone it's like okay we're not getting seven then half the time we're not getting three either whether it's because we 
choose to go for, which in some of those cases I think was necessary. Was. And in some of those cases, it probably would have been smarter to take three. Um, and then, but you know, we've had a couple times where we've been inside the 10 and missed the three. So it, you know, when that's, that may be playing into the idea of rolling the dice there. Exactly. So, uh, it, you know, it's really kind of one feeding the other at this point. And when you're playing down, like we were most of West Virginia, that's when you start making those kind of choices, right? You have to. I mean, we made three choices to go for touchdowns versus kicking field goals. And that game, if 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 Romo could have made them from that close, it's nine points. It's a six point game. It's a three point win. You probably so, don't you don't know at the time that you're going to get two turnovers in the second half that are going to set nope. you up nicely. Nope. And overall, Brian, the total offense we're at 113. I mean, this is this is like prime 2000s offense with Steiny. 113, 329. Ouch. I mean, <laughs> and the thing is, we have pretty decent field position a lot of times, starting probably somewhere in the I would say between the 30 and the 35. And you count again, you start doing the math, and it's just like it it, it translates right. We're yeah. averaging three touchdowns a game, roughly. 329 well, a, yards. You do the yeah, math. And, and, and we, we've talked about the you know the, the punting game with Peter Moore there. Let's talk about the kick return game. Our, our punt return team and our kick return team have set us up pretty good. Yes, they have. For most of the year. So And, and that's why, I mean, some of the, this offense has to start coming together because we can't keep having the defense get us good stops or, and or turnovers and our kicking team give us good field position and we come away with three points or nothing most of the time. Uh, we we got to start putting the ball in the end zone. It's very true, man. And, I mean, our essentially our punt unit, punt return unit, is actually one of the best in the nation, you know, coming in in the top 20. Yeah. 135 return yards. You know, obviously you got Tay's touchdown. And – and that's one of those parts where, I mean, is it, can we can I say it? Even though this is a whole new regime, it's history repeating itself. It's history repeating itself, and it's with a whole different cast of characters. Yeah, and and something has to be done. And you know, let's let's just flip it over. Let's let's hear what or let's talk about what Coach Fuente had to say. Um, I think the big one I want to start with here, Brian, is. They're having practice this week. We, we alluded to that in the first part. Um, Monday, yesterday, and today, it was with primarily all the young guys. Yeah. Looking at snap counts, the old guys were getting true breaks. They'll be back Thursday uh, for some workout – or Thursday for actual practice and then Friday for workouts. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming this is probably something that's just normal policy in collegiate football. I wouldn't say it's standard, but I think it, it definitely is widely used. Um, I think it kind of depends on the coach. Uh, I know Fuente somewhat alluded to the fact that um, he used to kind of have a set um, schedule for the bye week, and he's he's kind of changed that up over the years and kind of has done things as needed for the team at the current moment. And I think – you know, looking at where we are depth wise and things like that, getting rest for the veteran guys uh, for a couple days, you know, heal up, 
um, still keep keep the mental sharp, right? But um, yeah. not necessarily doing a ton on the physical side of things, and then coming back on Thursday and then getting that lift on Friday, probably the best prescription for them. While the young guys that haven't had a ton of reps that aren't completely banged up, get them out there, get them practicing with the first group um, as much of them that are practicing and, and just make sure that they're getting to run through reps against live competition. And I think that's what's going to be good for the bye week because, you know, we, we've said it, um, depth is a concern this year. And the more guys we can bring along faster, the better it's going to be in the long run. And you know, some of that's going to be the wide receiver uh, group where we've got our big three have kind of played a shit ton of snaps. Yes, they have. Um, where everybody else is not so much. <laughs> um, but we're also talking about across the defensive line, especially defensive end. <clears throat> and uh, probably the other one is offensive line, right? So yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and there's something else you mentioned, Brian, other than the, the rest and stuff like that is, Talked about this is a week that coaches can start reviewing their schemes and what to do and how they make adjustments. There's a lot of adjustments needed. Um, and then he kind of asked the question, what steps can you take to improve and are you asking too much of your players? You know, I sit here and, and the players are put in the position that you ask them to be in. Could execution be better? Yes. But the whole piece is – You've had the this is where you've had a full spring, you've had a full summer session, you've had a full fall. And if you're still saying that, or we're asking our players to do too much, that should have been answered when you got to fall camp, not the fourth week into the season. Yeah, and I think some of that speaks back to the depth, right? Because when you don't have depth, you kind of start asking more of the guys that know what they're doing, have the experience and things like that. And sometimes they're physically ready to take that on, but they may not be ready to do that week to week. Right. Yeah. And so you can see it happen in practice, but when you put it on a game, you put it on week to week. So that's where the inconsistencies can show up. And sometimes putting too much on a player can, when that starts showing up in a game, that's when you see it. So that may be what he's speaking to there. Um, and it's hard to replicate some of that in practice. So getting game tape and then evaluating that way is really the only way to to kind of encapsulate that. Um, they said they saw it last year with Blackshear. Um, and they, they made some adjustments in the offseason. So sometimes the only way to really see that is by having the tape and seeing that, okay, well, it looks like he's pressing here or you know he's trying to do too much here or or, or whatever it may be. And sometimes taking a little bit off, um, you know, throwing the change up might be the better option there. It's very true. But the only thing about that, Brian, is you're four games in and as you get deeper is the more basic – or this is my opinion. The more basic you become on either side of the ball, easier for defenses, easier for offenses to key in on what you're doing, easier for them to attack you or for being in the right spot when you attack to get you minimal gain. So it's it's that it's a catch-22, right? We yeah, can, we- and, so, and, and some of this isn't necessarily trimming back responsibilities. Sometimes it can just be focusing on the things you're doing well more than the things where, you know, you're struggling with. Um, so some of that's going to be selection. Some of it's going to be addition by subtraction, but some of it's just going to be, 
we're going to say we're going to keep that in our back pocket until we absolutely need it instead of throwing it out there you know multiple times a game exactly all right he took complete ownership we already mentioned it we're not scoring enough point he took complete ownership saying we had left a ton of points on the field um and not being manufactured at the rate they won't it was good to hear him say that um and then you know then he talked about evaluating the coaches during the bye week right yep what they can improve and I know, Brian, he, he he did something that you liked a lot with what he asked his coaches. Yeah, I mean, so this is this is a technique that a lot of a lot of manager good managers do is that you know they'll they'll ask questions of of folks that they already know the answer to, wanting them to communicate how they feel so that they make sure that they're on the same page. Because a lot of times you know, the classic thing is, you know, when you assume something, you make an ass out of you and me. You don't want yeah. to assume that you're on the same page with your coaching staff. You want to have some sort of confirmation. So in lack of actual verbal communication of that, asking those types of questions kind of gets that ball rolling, right? It absolutely does. Because if, if you know, he asks a question and he expects an answer in this format, in this box, and one of the coaches is over here. Well, well, first of all, does that make sense where he is? Right? Yeah. That's you know, you get outside the box thinking. Don't don't get me wrong. You can think outside the box and be right, and maybe have, shine some light on things. But it's when they're over here, and the answer's not close to what you're looking for. You got to start kind of bringing them in into a better point of what we've been talking about. If the execution issues. Right. If the execution issues are happening at certain position and those guys aren't giving those answers that he's looking for, then you can start unraveling like, okay, now I can see why we're having the issues here and there. So, I mean, it's a very good technique. So I'm I'm not even going to. It's it's a good managerial technique. Um, Hopefully something will come to light of it, but we'll see. we talked about third down. He said he wants to see improved on both sides of the ball. Um, for the defense, okay. Um, they're literally stopping people at a pretty much elite clip. So we're going to toss that away. Maybe he meant just for the offense because, again, we've already talked about it. the offense. It's not good, but it's also the number of times they're getting to third down. So, yeah, to me, it's more the number of times. I think the number of times on the on the defense side of the ball is is fine, um, and you know, I think it, it's been it's been good to see that there has been an improved uh, point of emphasis uh, of improving third down efficiency because that was awful last year on both sides of the ball in a lot of ways. Um, so having improvement really on the efficiency side of things on offense and defense from 2020 has been a good sign of things to come there. We just need to piece together consistency, right? So consistency. when our back has been against the wall, the, the offense has been okay at keeping drives alive, but you know, we've been so inconsistent on first and second down that it's really hard to, to keep that conversion clip going. Um, true. We just need to, we need to be, be a lot better. And, part of the reason that we're so good on third down is that we're, we're having a lot of them because we don't have any explosive plays. Yeah. 
we don't we don't yeah you know, we don't have any explosive plays at all. I think I mean Tavion's punt return is probably the most explosive play all year. Then you look at like Holston's TD catch. They're explosive, but they're not they're not busters. When I say a buster, yeah. I'm talking like a forty plus because forty plus yards completely change everything. It changes field position. It changes play call dynamics. If you're at the right spot, obviously on the field, you almost feel like we're in scoring position now. Yeah. I mean, this definitely isn't Khalil Herbert on the outside zone, finding an alley, slipping one tackle, getting to the sideline, and just outrunning everybody. We're not doing that this year. Not at all. (laughs) The opportunities, I think, are there. They just have to – get consistently and put the guys in the right spots. All right, Brian. Hey, John. How's it going, John? (laughs) All right. What did I say earlier? Let me slowly put this back on now. (laughs) Earlier in the preseason about, oh, these young wide receivers, these – and he was hyping them to the moon. Yep. And we've seen barely any from Jalen Jones, Dwayne Lofton, and very little Jaden Paiute is finally starting to come on the last couple of weeks. Well, here's what I'm going to go with, Brian. If I hear him say that, if he's here next year and I hear him say it, my first thought is whoever he's talking about, at least two of those guys are injured. Because that's the case. <laughs> that is Jones, the case. Jalen Jones but- injured, getting close to coming back. Um, Jaden Paiute, obviously, we, we saw him on the field the last couple weeks. But was fighting a hamstring injury, so still limited uh, in terms limited. of the snap count um, yep. because of that hammy. So it looks like he is playing his way into health at this point. Um, like the hammy's good to go, it just he's not quite full speed in terms of getting his conditioning and everything back where it needs to be. Um, Jalen obviously been injured I think, since 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 pretty much the end of fall camp. So. Been nice to know know some of that information as to why he's not seeing the field. And Dewan Lofton, I mean, he's he's had 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 some good run out there. Um, but I mean, in terms of consistency, you know, we've had Tavian Robinson has probably been our most consistent receiver, whereas Trey's been the bigger play threat. Yeah, uh, Tavian's been the most consistent threat. So it's uh, he had, Lofton probably hasn't quite as many opportunities. Um, None. With with Tavion having that much success on the field, so uh, we definitely need to rotate them in because we cannot have those big three, you know, along with Caleb Smith, they're playing uh, you know eighty five percent of the snaps in this no, offense. Can't. We need it, it needs to be at least like at least down ten percentage points, right? Yeah, you want to see them on. You'd like to see them on the field for productive plays. I would say between eight and twelve actual plays so at least one what would be one full drive and we're not even close to that i mean lofton has one catch in four games so he's been on the field a few times but again it goes back to utilization brian utilization and they're not utilizing them correctly um and hopefully we'll pay you coming back especially having this week off and leading up the next week hopefully the coming out parties against notre dame which i'm sure you saw today is a sellout um so they announced for, that one early. <laughs> announced it very – which is not shocking. It's not shocking whatsoever. There will no. also be a, be a ton of people putting those on the secondary market, essentially selling those tickets to pay for next year's full season tickets. Um, yeah. In, 
and it, it's uh, not a bad move. I respect. No, I respect not. the hustle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Seven plus a seven thirty kick. I mean, that's that's a weekend if you do and it. They'll right. pick one next year, and they'll buy next year the, the, for the following season's tickets. Exactly. So it just, it'll go on and on like that. All right. <laughs> He mentioned a few things about Braxton. Now he talked about he needed to reach another level of efficiency, and and sort of self ownership. Um, saying you know it's our job to get him there. Again, I'm. I feel like in these this press conference, I've heard more, you know, owning things than maybe in the previous five years combined. Um, any any talk? I, I, I like the language, but if I don't see change, then it's just. Yeah, it's it's all for naught, right? Lip, lip service. It's yeah, lip service I, I, is all it is. I, I I appreciate the ownership. Show me. I, I would have taken. You would have gotten a whole lot more respect from the ownership two to three years ago. Uh, I'm past just owning it being okay. Show me. Yeah, yeah um, show them. Do something. Um, but I mean, as as he highlighted though, I mean, the big thing is that you know, we have done overall a really good job of protecting the football. Oh yeah. Um, and that well, that alone that alone is probably helped this offense as much as any of that you know what we what we are able to to generate Jeez. you know you know we have we haven't done a whole lot of we we've shot ourselves in the foot in other ways but we have not shot ourselves in the foot in, in giving the ball over in key areas so except one time one yeah. time when we decided yeah. to put the backup quarterback at the six yard line which tells me a lot about who's paying attention out there. But yeah, if if you know, you take that play away, just Braxton, it's been three in four games. And yeah. that can I be honest? That's why we're three and one. If if you say we were at somewhere between if we were at double that or put a few more turnovers on the board, two and two, probably a yeah. loss to UNC. Um so you know, again it's it's, it's I mean the game against Richmond was way closer than we wanted to be. I mean, it, we never right. felt like truly threatened, but at the same time, it was close enough where, you know, you had to think about it, right? Exactly. Um, he mentioned the Coastal being good for us, um, even if it's not good for the conference. Conference is just completely down this year. Could someone get in? Yes. And the only reason I say that, Brian, Everything and I and I and I've mentioned this to people heard on the radio. This is smelling like 2007 again, where yep. there's just it's constant chaos. Top 10 teams are losing every week. Um, in this week, I think, so- I, I think we're gonna see that. So we're gonna probably see at, at some point it's gonna level out where we're gonna see a, a few less, but then as soon as it gets close to rivalry week again. You're going to see it ratchet right back. It's going to go through the roof. And you remember rivalry week of 07. Just, I mean, like LSU losing to Arkansas in that crane where, where Dan McFadden went just nuts. Yep. Then LSU still got in the national championship game. Um, I do also like this from Fuente. He talked about how bye weeks have changed for him and it didn't, he didn't really used to believe they were any different. And now he does. Um, I think that's just now some guy who has coached close to 20 years where in the beginning it's probably, I just want to keep the guys going and keep them involved and keep them where now it's, well, now I can step back. I can let the kids breathe. 
I can let the program breathe. I can step back and look at what's going on. Now, our record out of the bye weeks, not the greatest. Oh, and three of the last three seasons. So hopefully he reflects upon something and he changes something <laughs> this week to result in a win. Yeah, uh, we haven't been great out of buys um, last three years, uh, really four years. I think uh, four in a row we've lost. A um, couple of those have been against decent to above average competition, but a couple of those were, were stinkers. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, when you play a Notre Dame coming out of a bye, this will be what the second time we played Notre Dame coming out of a bye, and yep, played them in many... eighteen, and yep, until the Willis Humbleruski um, was within three. Yeah, it was a three point game. He fumbled it. They go score ten. Come out the second half, pop that big playoff, and off to the, you know, the next, Yeah, the next thing you know, it's. It's still a good game because we continue to fight, but, you know. And then last year, the, it was such a funky year. Oh, yeah, last year we had to play Clemson. Yep. So, so it's one of those things like, like yes, he's 0-3, but then on the other hand, you get to say, but he also had to play two playoff teams. Yeah, so, the other two, I know Duke was one of them. Was Georgia Tech one of them? Um, Georgia Tech, not in 19. No, that was Duke. That was Duke? Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because everybody's like, this is when you're going to make the quarterback change because you get two weeks. Yeah. So, in reality, of the three seasons, it's been two elite teams and Duke, and we know what was happening in 19 in that room. So, again, let's hope he figures out the right, him yeah, getting I think seven. I think seventeen was Georgia Tech, and I think that was just an average Georgia Tech team. So, yeah, very likely. All right, well, let's jump off the head coach. Let's go over to the defensive room. Brian Jay Ham. He opened up talking about the linebacker room. What'd you hear from him? Uh, I mean, likes Dax as the kind of quarterback of the defense, bringing the energy, effort, the passion. Um, really likes the way Tisdale's coming along in the, in the defense. Um, both of them have, have done a good job uh, leading the team in tackles, you know, one and two there. So I think that's big. You, you saw about how, you know, when you're inside linebackers, and I know in general this is a good thing, when you're inside linebackers or leading the team in tackles, that's what you like to see. It means they're taking care of the trash. Not a lot's getting past the second level of the defense. Um, so that's good. And he talked about, you know, Keyshawn Artis and – and Dean getting in there and 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 making some noise in the in the opportunities they've had. They've absolutely made noise. I mean, we've seen little if no drop off when those two guys are on the field um, subbing, which is really good because Dax and Tiz do play a tons of special teams play. Um, so having two guys that you trust to just go out there and run your defense. Um, I wish he would have mentioned a little more about. Chamari's role as playing that nickel Mike or the nickel linebacker position because that has really helped us to defense significantly. It should be talked about more on um, how he's went to that, but he hasn't. Um, and again, we, we talked about it earlier, and I think you said it. You were a little nervous about. We're a little nervous about Dean and Keyshawn. They've alleviated all worries. 
that is probably the best depth room maybe in the entire team is the linebacker room. All right, Brian. Yeah, may, may, um, maybe corner. Maybe corner would be the only other maybe, one yeah, where, where yeah. you feel like you can lean on you know, five or six guys. Anybody. It's true, man. All right. The next thing he talked about was he was talking about, you know, he was giving the complimentary field position, still calling out Peter Moore. And it, it is true, right, Brian? The yep. further you back a team up, the more opportunities it's, it, the defense is going to attack. You're not on your heels. You're not thinking about one play and shoot. They can take it to the house. Um, and again, we've, we mentioned, we continue to mention Peter Moore's name. And I know he's a punter y'all, but they're football players too. And the way we've had to play ball this year, he has been a weapon. Yep. And for the defense, I'm sure when they see, all right, Pete's going to boot one. We're going to, we're going to have them inside the 15. And if they make a boo-boo, we're going to be able to force a turnover and be on the doorstep. Yeah, that's been the big thing. Um, you know, we, I know we've talked about it already, but Peter Moore flipping the field for us. Um, really, not really a known quantity in terms of what, what to expect from him this year, right? Nope. Um, we, we really didn't know what to expect, and he's really come out and answered all the all the bells that have been kind of put in his way there, um, except for throwing a uh, 25 yard pass to uh, Dorian Strong on the fake punt. I mean, that, that's, that's, <laughs> that's about the only negative play he's had. I think he's had maybe one other one punt the whole season that wasn't um, what, like 40 plus yards. So Very um, true. He, he, he's been booing them um, and, and doing a good job. Just kind of, you know, controlling emotions in the, in the, in the heat of those moments. So kudos to him. Exactly. All right. Then he sort of talked about this week gets to self scout a little bit. Um, you know, I like the way he talked about basically Carolina, they played with reckless abandon for that yeah. game. In the last three games, they have played a little more, Conservative might have cost us. It was specifically Western. talking about up front, right? Yeah, talking about up front. There, talking about the defensive line, um, and he was also kind of talking about how the other offensive has he's not been able to go as reckless, um, which is good. Which tells me Ham understands. I can't. Con- I cannot attack this type of offense. This is going to be. This isn't a slugfest. It's almost think of a boxer, right? You've got guys like Floyd Mayweather who can jab, box, not going to knock you out, but going to win the fight. Yep. And then you've got guys like Tyson who would knock you out. Then you kind of guys had guys there in the middle. You know, if you if you think back, if you look way back, you think like Sugar Ray Robinson, who were just technical fighters but could lay the boom on you when they needed to. Yep. And so what I'm seeing from Ham, and I'll, I'll take that analogy, is he knows – we can throw fists at these guys. It's not going to hurt us. He knows I got to be careful. These This team can make a big play. So, again, it just shows you sort of the, the, the intelligence he has on defense knowing, you know, I can slug, I can jab. On this team, if we get up 10, I can start throwing hate makers. Yep. I think that's good, kind of knowing, knowing where, where to dial up. Um, you know, that aggressiveness. Um, and, and we talked about the 
the line of Carolina. And, and, you know, when you look at them statistically, it makes sense why he's throwing it out there because, um, you know, some of the grades on their running backs last year were through the roof, but the grades on their offensive line were consistently hey. low. Um, so th- <laughs> their running backs were making the line look good. And they, we, I mean, Ham essentially made made the wager that, They'll they'll be fine at running back, but they're not going to be what they were last year. We can take some chances, and you know they might break one here, one there. We feel better about ourselves on the back end to make sure that that doesn't turn into a big play. Let's get aggressive and try to force some of those tackles for loss, and they did. Exactly. All right, Brian. He he really went pretty deep into the DL defensive line, talking about how it's been really key how he's rotated guys. He gave credit to uh he gave credit to monsters inc on the defensive line (laughs) (laughs) listen one of the players said in the pressers today you've got the big guy jc you've got the little guy bill right yep yep the monsters inc defensive line coach is really keeping that rotation good keeping guys fresh and then obviously the questions came up about barno you know we we know barno logged on the stat sheet last week but you know, what did you, with what he had to say? What did you feel is going on with Barno right now? So I mean, he talked about how they're running directly at him with the running game a lot, um, and sliding protection to him in the passing game. So that's taking that's taking him out of some some of the plays, but that's also meaning that other guys on that defensive line are having more one on one opportunities. Um, so, I mean, overall, you know, you love having a guy that's filling up the stat sheet, but you, I would rather have that defensive line as a unit pulling, pulling numbers. And as long as they keep doing what they they're doing, I think we can keep it rolling. Um, you know, would like to see him adjust a little bit more to kind of what is being thrown at him so he can kind of get back into the, the impact player level there. Um, but it, it makes sense to see the drop off based on how they're playing him now. Um, I like that he seems to be adjusting a little bit. I, like I said, I, I think I mentioned in the the Richmond recap, you know, seeing him walk down, you know, rushing play, you know, 15, 20 yards downfield. Um, so, you know, he's still finding ways to, even when he's blocked, even when he's, he's managed initially to, to still get in there and make a play. So that's good to see. Um, and the other thing Jay Ham talked about on the defensive line is that Cole Nelson is starting to come along. Yes, he and, is. And getting getting him in there is going to be pretty big. Uh, I like the uh, the analogy he used there: high motor, low maintenance. <laughs> the, the motor he talked about, like they have to talk about shutting him down. And I told you, you go back and reminisce in the stories from two thousand two that it, it 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 reminds you of a lot of what people said about tap. Yep, and and in that build coming in, he's similarly built to Daryl. Um, unfortunately, he missed that one year of getting coached by him. But yeah, Cole Nelson is officially part of the defensive end rotation now. Yep. Um, and then something else that maybe didn't shock, maybe shocked a lot of people if you didn't hear, Wilfred Panay has been making noise. Wilfred Panay is pushing for playing time, and Brian, I think you mentioned back. And then the summer, you were like, well, with his body, it, it's a chance that he could take a big step. Yeah, and it's good to see him picking up things uh, 
in a similar fashion to the speed that that Barno picked up things uh, last off season. Um, you know, hopefully we can start seeing him on the field. Uh, probably in terms of size, a little more aligned with the you know traditional size and speed of of a defensive end. Not not quite the freak athlete of Barno, but but definitely athletic and can make some plays there. So I, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can bring to the table now that we've kind of onboarded him to that defensive end position. Absolutely. And Brian, you mentioned about them running at Barno. You would you kind of would think a guy who's been in that position it's going to hurt us. Now we're we we have went almost 50 yards less per game rushing, almost a full yard per attempt down. Last year we were about at five. This year we're about at four. So clearly them running at him, he's obviously holding up in that, which is great to hear, not only for the defense in general, but for him in general, because we know he has the pass rush skills. He starts showing where he is a good run defender. The stock's going higher and higher with him. Well, I think the thing is like, you know, they are running at him, which does neutralize him to a point, but he's not getting the fact he's not getting blown out where it's creating craters in the defense at, at other levels. I think that definitely bodes well long-term because it means that, you know, yes, he is, he's not necessarily being able to impact the play, but he's not getting taken out of the play where he's creating problems for other players on defense. Very true. All right, let's flip it over. Let's talk about the corn presser. Um, and let's talk about the offensive line first, Brian, your bed and butter there. He mentioned we need more than five guys. Well, we had more than five <laughs> guys, and then somehow we ran people away. Nestor obviously starting a ton at West Virginia, and yep. Hudson significantly in the rotation at Louisville, where, you know, if you have those guys, you don't have to talk about depth. You are deep. If because you had Caden take the step up, you had Johnny transfer in. You're you're probably as deep as you were last year. Yeah, and I'm and I'm not sure if you have a Johnny transfer in. If you have those other two guys, that that's up in the air. But you know, you're at least solid in your first five, and have one swing guy you can count on with Caden stepping into that other role. Um, probably still would be a little questionable at tackle, just because you'd probably end up having to have Nestor be kind of a guard tackle combo um, because we were going to be thin at tackle this year, almost regardless. Um, you know, the question at this point is going to be, would Nestor playing a tackle, whether it be right or left, have made this line a significant upgrade or would it have been on the similar level that we've been at? I think it would have definitely been a little better. I think um, a little better. Yeah. Because I think, I think he, you know, even though he does occasionally struggle in pass pro, I think, you know, his – his floor and pass pro is a lot higher than some of the others uh, we've seen so far. And, you know, we know he's good in the run, in the run game. So uh, I would have liked to see what that could have been, but, you know, alas, it didn't work out that way. Uh, so, you know, we're dealing with this situation where we've got Brock kind of moving all over the line uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, you know, played some right tackle against West Virginia, played left guard, almost primarily against Richmond um, hasn't had a great year um, so far. Uh, I think he definitely would like to play a lot more consistently than he's played um, this year. Um, he, he's not playing at the level he was playing last year and la- last year he played at a pretty good level, but he cost us with, with the mental stuff and yeah. the, mental has, the mental has went away, but he's not, 
he's not impacting the game with his physicality in the same way and that we need to find a balance with that. You know, I don't know if, if, if gearing down has, has caused his intensity to kind of go away in the, between the whistles or, or what, but he's not playing at that same level. So it's very true. Now, Brad mentioned that they're looking at getting Silas back into the rotation. I'm assuming that's going to be Notre Dame. But then Fuente mentioned he liked the starting five that were out there on Saturday. I'm I'm blending these two together, Brian. Do you think when we come out against Notre Dame, do you think our line is Leticus Smith at left tackle, Brock Hoffman at left guard, Johnny at center, Silas Danzi at right guard, Luke Tenuta at right tackle with obviously Caden Moore getting some snaps and potentially maybe Tyrell Smith or maybe not Tyrell Smith getting some snaps. I think more than likely they keep Lasita Smith at left tackle. I think that is going to okay. give us the most consistency because it gives us our best overall lineman at the most important position, right? Yeah. Um, because even even with tackles that are true tackles that have a little bit more, little bit more speed, mm-hmm. um, getting out of the snap, he he he's not he's not any worse off than they are, and he's he's been much more consistent both in the pass game and the run game in the in terms of his protection um, than really anybody else on the line. Uh, I would definitely keep his consistency at that um, left tackle position and then kind of fill in everywhere else. Uh, you know, Brock, despite his kind of subpar play overall, definitely gives us flexibility there because he can play across the entire interior of the line and slide out to tackle if absolutely necessary. Yeah. Um, so that gives you a little bit, little options there. So, yeah, I would definitely keep Lasita Smith out there at left tackle and then kind of figure out what other makeup of the line is kind of your best five and hopefully have one or two guys in the, in the hole that can kind of slide in when necessary or get whether to give a breather or whether to, to jump in. If there's a, a Nick that's, you know, somebody has to come out of the game. Exactly. All right. Next thing we're going to with, he did make a few comments about Braxton. I want to hit on a couple of those, Brian. All right. First of all, he, he admitted completely. He is disappointed in how Braxton's played the first four games. Um, you know, he did kind of admit he'd have to look in the mirror himself on that, too. He also admitted that there's still a chance for him to take a step, and that step is definitely needed in the next coming eight games because 23 points is not going to cut it. But he talked about his athleticism has helped him. Now, Brian, you said something to me. Now, you were a little bit upset about, well, yeah, he, he has this, but Brad, you're not helping him. Yeah, I think that's that's the thing I'd like to see is that we need to make out the gate, and I think this is what what frustrates me the most, is that we need to get Braxton comfortable out the gate and keep him comfortable in that second drive. Because we've, we've seen him have success on an opening drive. We've seen him um, come out a little flat. When he's had success, we haven't seen that coupled with a second drive that kind of gives him that confidence where he's really building upon that. I think at this point we need to be a little bit better with with the script and with how we how we get into our second drive and and make that a little more consistent get you know get up 10 points get up 14 points get two scores you know in the first quarter 
and start putting pressure not only on the other team, but also give Braxton the confidence where that, you know, if they do come back and, and put some points on the board, he's ready to go out there and move the football down the field again. You know, some of it's confidence. Um, a guy playing with confidence is willing to take a little more calculated risk, and some of that is what's needed right now as well. Um, you know, pulling the trigger when guys are open but it's tight. Um, pulling the trigger when, you know, you may not be able to make the most – accurate throw but if a guy's wide open try to get it out there to him um you know i think we need to see a little bit more of that i, I don't want to see risk taking necessarily in terms of putting the ball in danger but you know he can sling the ball he's got the capability he's not going to drive it downfield you know 45 50 yards on a dime outside the numbers okay. but he can throw an accurate ball within that you know that 30 40 yard range um you know when he needs to and we need to let him rip it a little bit more and, and rip it with confidence. Because when he rips it with confidence, it looks a lot better than when he's out there and looks like he's really overthinking what he's doing with the football. Well, when he, when he rips it with confidence and he's playing with confidence, it's the UNC game, especially first half. when we well, start UNC, it's UVA um, last year. Yeah. It's, it's, it's it, most it, of the of Clemson game. I mean, it's when, 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 he, when he's in his bag, he looks it looks okay. It's not great, but it, it looks it looks good. You're fine with it. Well, the whole piece of it is when he starts easy, think about the UNC game. We started with some easy swing passes, a couple of easy, you know, relatively easy outside passes. And the next thing you know, you talk about that 45-yard pass to Trey where he put on the money. He felt good. He felt like, I'm going to hit my passes. When you put him in situations where he's not like that, you can see it, and it's in his body language. And I'll tell you something yeah. else, Brian. When we were watching that interview, Corn's body language is not good. I, I got a feeling probably Sunday, as Fuente was talking about asking questions, you think he got dressed down? I, I think there were definitely a lot of questions asked that he didn't necessarily have the right on the on the uh, the right wavelength answer for. Corn um, <laughs> definitely looked like he – it it had been a long week for him so far, and it was you know Tuesday. Worse, um, so <laughs> that's going to be interesting to see how that develops um, going forward. To see if Corn makes any sort of wholesale adjustments to to get Braxton more comfortable, or whether it's going to be kind of the same old, same old, just repetition, repetition, and hope it hope it works out. Um, exactly, and, and I'm not discounting repetition. Repetition is important. If you don't rep it, it, it's hard to get. But at some point, we're we're four weeks into the season. Um, we should have seen it click into place a little bit faster. Um, so I'm hoping that something changes that causes that click to happen. Well, it, it's got to be something. Now, in all in all honesty, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this segment with this statement, Brian. I mean, you looked at it and said, okay, the ownership's there, right? He, he, he said this, and, and it basically says this. It means all of us have – all of us kind of taking a good hard look in the mirror, starting with me. Thank goodness he said starting with me because it is you because you are the offensive coordinator. And just continue to find ways and continue to help each guy get better, more consistent, which was a theme of the entire press conference for most of the guys, and finding the best way to put our guys in positions and have the chance to make plays. He's got to do it now. 
And yep. the reality is if everything goes right, um, well, not everything goes right. If, if things are truly looked at hard this week, I do think we might not hear about it, but there should be a change. And whether that's going to be in the red zone or something like that, you know, got to make a choice there, Brian, right? Okay. Um, I know we're going to get into this a little bit more after the break here, but yes, we are. Um, co-OCs? Hey, maybe. Fuente's had co-OCs a ton. But, yeah. But, you know, before we actually dive into it, folks, before we dive into Brian's review of essentially the food foundations of offense, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, guys, as we mentioned at the top of the program, Brian did some deep dive analysis on the Justin Fuente offense, looking at TCU in his early days and at the Memphis offense. And Curtis Brian pointed out a itch, and I started scratching it. Hey, I found something. Just You know, sometimes <laughs> you just type something into Google and things pop up, and it's like, oh, that's an hour. And then Brian types them up. Ooh, that's an hour and 20 minutes. Ooh, that's an hour. Next thing you know, Brian's hitting triple speed, trying to watch multiple videos. So, Brian, let's start here. We're going to take a look back at TCU from 2010. Yep. 2010 was essentially the making of who Justin Fuente was and how he got here. It was Andy Dalton, Jeremy Curley, an absolute stout Gary Patterson defense at TCU. They go undefeated. They win the Rose Bowl, beating Wisconsin, who had J.J. Watt, amongst others, on that defense that year. And, Brian, you looked at the Air Force game and the Oregon State game. Um, Oregon State that year was a pretty good team. They were ranked when they played them. So I'm going to kind of let you go and tell me what you saw on the tape. Yeah, so I mean, I'll start this off. I know we we mentioned a little bit earlier, but um, this kind of came to to fruition as a result of listening to the uh, Gerard Evans mm-hmm. interview on Don V Fridays. Um, that was kind of the some of the comments made about the offense of Paxton Lynch relative to what Gerard the keys that Gerard yep. was given when he got to Virginia Tech, and and the juxtaposition there was kind of what got this thing rolling in my head would cause Curtis to start digging and then would cause me to spend several hours watching tape. Um, <laughs> it's kind of the culmination of all that. So hey, I spent some time watching the tape, but I, I'm, I, I'm like, what are they doing? <laughs> so, you know, Oregon state was, I think they, they opened uh, with Oregon state that year. They were, I think TCU was a top 10 team. Oregon state was a top 25 team. Yep. Um, when I was watching the game, I saw a bunch of previews for the uh, Virginia Tech Boise State game. So, go ahead and you know, cry the tears on that one real quick. But 
you know, so I watched those two games, um, not a ton of different things in those games. Um, they did have a good dose of speed options. So it was a little bit more run heavy than we've seen, um, in terms of the focal point of the offense. Um, but the things that were different, the big thing is that they were under center a lot, okay. um, especially in short yardage plays. They ran a lot of play action boots off the, uh, off the under center looks there. Um, they were in pistol a lot, which we still incorporate, um, at Virginia tech and, you know, it kind of, this is where it kind of started. So they ran veer, they, but they also ran obviously the inverted veer, which was kind of a, a relatively new concept. Um, at that time, um, they ran it with or without the jet motion. Um, yeah. Last quick question. Veer. Explain veer. Cause you know, because some people associate, well, I hear beer, I think read option. They're, it's different though, right? So the the read option is essentially running back goes one direction, quarterback is reading and going the other direction if, if he decides to keep it. Uh, with the veer, um, you're essentially, the running back and the quarterback are going the same direction, just the running back is going inside the tackle, quarterback's aiming point is outside the tackle, and they're reading both of them are reading the defensive end or outside edge defender. Um, okay. But one is going, they're both going the same direction. One, they're going opposite direction. Um, okay. So th- that that's kind of the difference there. Uh, quarterback powers did exist at TCU. They were ran um, with effectiveness. Uh, Andy Dalton, you know, isn't the Andy Dalton we see today. Um, he, he had a little bit more athleticism in his, in his early twenties there. So, um, he was out there running, running with good frequency. Uh, and they were working a lot of the bubble screen and then running some variations off that where they would show a block and then kind of, you know, escape up the sideline. Um, either kind of a, kind of a fade stop look or just kind of finding a soft spot in the zone there. Okay. Can I ask this, Brian? And we don't see it here. Or the times we've seen it, it's been absolutely a miserable failure. I think Ryan Willis in the bowl game against Cincinnati. When you go under center in short yardage, you know, some people say, you know, why does it help so much? I always think you go under center on short yardage. A, if it's third and one and a half, your running back is getting an absolute full start, right? Full yep. start to the line of scrimmage. Second, they have to be wary of sneaks. If you're third and one and a half, well, if I can get the ball here and that center can submarine, I can just find the hole and get in two yards. So why aren't we incorporating that here? I mean, I think a guy like Gerard Evans, I think a guy like Hendon, I mean, Quincy. If you're under center with those guys at one and a half or two yards, it's like the playbook is so open. It It sounds really dumb. Okay. It takes time to teach quarterbacks at, at this level how to take a snap because no one's doing it at the high school level anymore either. No no one's taking the snap under center. Very, very few very few high school offenses that aren't triple option have guys taking the ball under center, which means the actual quarterbacks that sling the ball and not just running backs playing quarterback have okay. never taken an actual snap under center. Right, so it, why take, are we- it, it take it takes time to rep, and and I, I, I'm guessing they just say, well, it's not worth it. But I think it's absolutely worth it, um, not only for their development in terms of you know potential NFL careers, but just when you get the ball under center, you're already 
you're a half yard behind where the ball's starting instead of five yards behind where the ball's starting. It's easier to push the pile. It's easier to find those gaps. You got your running back that can kind of give you that push. You got your lineman that can get behind you and give you that push where you know, if you're trying to run that, that QB dive or QB power in that short yardage play, it's a lot easier for the lineman to get penetration and make the quarterback have to kind of redirect his route there. We see that a lot. Yeah. So I, I would prefer us doing a little bit more with that. Um, and, you know, I can talk a little bit more about Memphis here in a little bit because they do something similar. All right. So, something else you mentioned, Brian, is in, in, in it's to me kind of what we're, we, we're missing this year are easy passes. And you mentioned to me, I think it was like on the third or fourth play of that Air Force game we looked at, you were like, they're running double digs. They're running double digs on the sideline. And essentially, I think what what was like a seam, and one guy was running a crosser. So, why aren't we seeing those digs and that easy pass? I know you had two pushing it down the field, but if the corner's playing ten yards off and you run a five yard dig, it's hit the third step, fire it, put it on the right shoulder, force the guy to make a tackle. Why aren't we seeing easy passes like that for Braxton? Yeah, we're we're not working levels of the defense over the middle of the field. Um, at all. Um, they did more of that at, at TCU and some of that at Memphis. Um, so it seems like some of these, you know, middle, middle of the field levels concepts has kind of, have kind of went the way uh, of the dinosaurs slowly uh, from 2010 to now. I'm not sure why. I, I love a good dig. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, whether you, whether you hear me on here or, or see me on the timeline on Twitter, I am always saying, put the damn dig in there. A 15 yard dig should be a bread and butter route. Um, it's, it's so good it, it, because we're, we're, we have a decent offense where we can influence linebackers. If, if we don't throw the dig in there, we're just letting that space go to waste. And no. I know we run a lot of like, you know, post um, like slot post, which kind of does something similar, but you can't work the zone the same way that you can with a dig where you're running all the way across the formation. Um, so I'd like to see us be able to do that. All right. So obviously we're seeing elements that we have now still as part of his foundation back at TCU. Some things aren't there for whatever reason. We don't know that. Um, but let's go to the Memphis years. Um, again, don't knock the TCU years. 43 points he averaged over the, the team was averaging over 40 down at Memphis um when Corn and Dickey were the co-OCs as Fuente was a co-OC at TCU with Jared uh, Anderson with Jared Anderson who was uh, I told you when 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 you said that I look back Anderson had been on the staff at TCU 15 years give or take yep while Dickey had been in football close to 25 when he joined that staff at Memphis. So what you were pairing is you were pairing young guys with very experienced guys. New school philosophy with experienced uh, guys that, that can kind of point out maybe blind spots in these newer, newer systems, right? Exactly. All right, let's jump into it. Let's get into Memphis. You looked at the Houston and the Ole Miss game, the Ole Miss upset. 
that Justin Fuente went from being a rising stars DOC in his first couple years in Memphis. He knocks off the Hugh Freeze team, a top 15 team at that point in time. What did you see from that game and the Houston game? Uh, so similar to TCU, I, we actually saw Paxton Lynch under center. Not a great deal, uh, okay. but in in certain scenarios. So in if they decided they wanted to pound the ball between the tackles, okay. they would go under center and just hand the ball off downhill. If they were in the red zone and needed a couple yards, they would get under center, pound okay. downhill, run Paxton Lynch, hand it off to their running back, running downhill. Um, quarterback powers were, were still employed in that offense. So, I mean, oh. the QB power is not going away, ladies and gentlemen. It is a consistent <laughs> element of that run game. It is a staple of the Fuente offense. <laughs> yep. Um, so when they were running the read option, it was a lot more inside zone and kind of power versus the outside zone that we are accustomed to. Okay. Um, they ran uh, probably more veer and inverted veer with or without jet motion, um, even than TCU. Um, okay. I think TCU really went full inverted veer, I think, towards the end of that 2010 season, um, especially in the bowl game, I think is when that really had the big coming out party. Um, so uh, we were starting to see more of it um, at at Memphis there. And uh, still a lot of bubble and tunnel screens and variations off of that. Um, probably more, more, more tunnel screens than we run. Um, probably less bubble screens than we run. Okay. Um, but the thing that like I, I, I saw more of than I've, I've been used to recently is we they ran a lot more slants to the slot receiver and they actually targeted that in the offense consistently. Whereas I feel like we go away from that in those, cause that could be a bread and butter route for us when we need to move the sticks. And I feel like we, we go away from it for so long and eventually we get back to it and it has some success for us, but we don't stick with that concept. Um, well, what, what, well, what it is though, bro, can I ask this? Isn't yeah. that a manipulation play? Like running a four, three yard slant, consistently bread and butter in it eventually aren't you going to eventually the mic or the back or whichever side of the field you're running it to eventually if they see that predicament okay they've ran this three times i'm getting out of my lane and i'm going to try to stop it and thus if that happens if they take that step out of the lane you fake the throw you run something like a draw well he's off balance he's out of position we're about to have a nice little spread open here. Well, remember, I, I forget um, if I remember correct. I think it was the uh, the big play to Trey against Middle Tennessee State, uh, where they jumped uh, what, what what looked like was that kind of like a square in, um, and then Trey took it upfield and uh, and got the big game, the one that was underthrown slightly. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, um, I mean. That's a similar type of concept that you're talking about there where we had ran a couple plays where they were starting to key on what we're doing and we hit them with something that kind of got them out of position. Um, still a busted coverage. Safety didn't realize what the uh, what the backer was doing and the backer you know, just wasn't in place there. Um, now, in terms of what they do in the passing game, they still they didn't run – they ran more slants than we did, but they also – did a little different things outside the numbers. Okay. Um, 
so instead of just running the true fades, they, they ran a lot of like fade stops and a lot of like, um, kind of back shoulder, uh, laser throws. Um, and so that, that's a little bit of a different, different concept than what we are seeing, um, where we're, when we take the shots, they are more straight fades. Right. Um, and I don't know if that's a personnel decision or if that's a scheme decision. Um, but we're not seeing some of those kind of fade stops and back shoulder throws that were kind of uh, hallmarks of the Memphis offense. All right. And, and, and obviously Dickey and uh, corn OCs there. So again, we're seeing a lot of, we're seeing a lot of similar elements, but we're also seeing things that we don't see as much anymore, Brian. Yeah. As you start analyzing this, you know, from what you saw from really 10 years ago and roughly four to five years ago, excuse me, six years ago, I get that right. What are you saying? These are what you need to start taking these elements and you need to put them here, not only with the quarterback we have, but the offensive personnel, how we play defense and the wide receiver and the weapons. What do you want to see them bring to Virginia Tech from what you've seen on the tape? Uh, more kind of middle, middle routes. So middle of the defense, uh, middle depth, um, you know, starting with those 15 yard digs, starting with, with, with more consistent, um, slants from the slot position, um, more cross country kind of crossers. Um, I'd like to see, see more of that. And we can work that off play action where you get a little bit more time there. So those can kind of develop. Right. Um, but a lot of this comes down to, you know, we've said it play sequencing and, and execution overall. Those are, those are still the areas that when I watch those tapes, Memphis and TCU looked more crisp running these plays than we look consistently. Can I ask this? You, you've watched this offense for five years here, right? Yep. And you just watched four games, probably close to, I'm going to guess close to 250 snaps, correct? Give or take. A lot of snaps. Yeah. <laughs> Was there ever a time when you're sitting there watching it the last couple of days where you said they're going to do this? Was there any time and point you were able to key and say they're going to do this? I mean, I could see a jet sweep coming a mile away, but it was it was a little more. You know, we, we sometimes telegraph what we're doing in our pre-snap motion, but then we we work variations off that to make to take that, to take that away, take that anticipation away. Okay. Um, so I think that's why it's a little bit, little bit hard sometimes when we start games, because we start games with, we're showing you what we're, we're showing you what to expect. We'll see if you key on it and then we'll, then we'll give you a variation of it. All right. Um, All right. I, I don't necessarily like that approach because I, I'd like to see us sometimes come out and hit them with something they haven't seen. Okay. And, and and not, you know, save our load for when we get behind. <laughs> no, hit them. Yeah. That's my, that's my thing. I'd, I'd like to see us come out with, with the variations and then, you know, get them to start thinking and then we can get back to our bread and butters with the jet sweep that, you know, are more telegraphed. All right. Um, Brian, do you feel like there's anything, with those teams that they had that we're missing? Uh, we've had this, this type of player before, um, but we don't necessarily have an established version of it now. And that's, 
kind of that Swiss Army knife H back like Sam Rogers or Dalton Keene. Um, Drake and and Nick, I think, are doing the best they can, but I don't think they're quite where they need to be to run that position consistently. And, you know, we were using James Mitchell as kind of both a pass catching tight end and a Swiss army knife because of how well he could block in space and not having him has definitely started to hurt this offense. Um, you know, say what you will about us having decent depth at the position. Um, some of the things he was doing is hard to replace and they didn't always show up on the stat sheet. All right. All right. Well, what about Braxton? What's the difference between him and I mean, I'm not going to say what's the difference between him and Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton was a starter for 10 years, went to five, you know, took the Cincinnati Bengals to five playoff games. As many people that trash Andy Dalton, he took the Bengals to five playoff games. I think that's more than Boomer. I think that's more than Carson. And then obviously Paxton was one of those guys. To me, Paxton had a lot of talent. Paxton went to the worst place he could go. And follow, you know, an iconic quarterback. It wasn't like you know you were, you were step. If 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 he'd have followed Tebow, you might have gave him a little bit more time to kind of, yeah, potentially come into his own. But yeah. when you're when you're following a legend, and when you're you're in a situation where if you don't win now, there are consequences. And there was, yeah. And he's pretty much gone from the league now. But what's the difference? What's the difference between Burmeister and those two guys where, you know, maybe the maybe the plays are in the playbook and we're just not seeing them because of Braxton? Like I said, some of it's sequencing, but a lot of it is really just the command of the offense that they have. They, they were comfortable, and some of that's from experience, but, I mean, at this point, Braxton has been in this offense going on three years now. True. You, you got you got to be comfortable in this offense at this point if you're going to be the starter. Um, but just overall command uh, and and Lynch and Dalton could make those. You know, we we talk about the fades versus um, kind of those those back shoulders and those fade stops. You've got to be able to put some arm behind those type of throws because they're they're not lofted up in the air where where your guy goes up and gets it. They have to be in a spot on time or it could potentially be a pick. All right. So some of the, some of that you can't necessarily put in the offense unless you've got a quarterback that, that has that type of arm. And okay. I think that that's what's missing. Uh, and then some of the just calculated risk. And I think that comes with the confidence because if you're confident in the throws you're making, where your receivers are and in your own arm, um, you know, you'll you'll occasionally take a little bit of a calculated risk and squeeze one in there. I saw Paxton against uh, Houston throw it between two defenders on a on a corner route um, that you know it was tight coverage, but there was a window and he got it in there. And sometimes you got to make those throws. All right. So I, what I'm kind of hearing here, even though he's been in the system three years, he's only played technically seven games now. Yeah, oh, eight games. Eight games. Excuse me. He was he was three and one last year. So, you know, where Dalton and Paxton basically, by the time they got to some of those years we're looking at, they had been in the system two and three years, and not just in the system, but they were at twenty plus games. And I'm going to say this goes back to Fool and Corn in general. Every year, it's a new quarterback. 
every year it's multiple quarterbacks. You need to find a guy, and you've you've got you, you. They've recruited several very talented guys, but it's always this. Well, can't do it quite yet. Uh, who was it we talked to, Brian? That said, the year Ryan Willis, when Ryan Willis, when Josh Jackson went down, they should have said, "Screw Ryan Willis, play Hendon, screw it." It's not going to be a good season anyway. Get Hendon all the game reps you can because Hendon's a type of guy that do it. So, and whoever it was, and if I don't remember who it was, I'm sorry. I'm I'm old. Um, so is that a key? If that's a key to the offense, great. Then from day one after Gerard Evans and Josh Jackson's your quarterback second year, I don't care what Ryan – or you do it the opposite way. I don't care what Ryan Willis does. Josh is your quarterback. Yeah, go back and look at the numbers um, from 2013, then 2014, then 2015 with Paxton Lynch, and you'll see ratching it up very steady uh, up uptick in terms of yardage, in terms of efficiency, in terms of touchdown-to-interception ratio. I mean, everything improved with time. But you can't create scenarios where you don't have consistencies at that position. And, uh, you know, some of this is, you know, just bad luck. And some of this is creating scenarios where quarterbacks don't want to continue playing here for it's one true, reason man. or another. And that's so, – I mean, you got to take some ownership of that. I mean, yes, you, you know, you've had some bad luck thrown your way. You, you know, there, there were – choices made that didn't work in your favor but at the same time you got to play with the guys you got and try to maintain the talent that you do have and develop that talent true very true you can only develop that talent if you keep guys in the building and get them reps in the game absolutely all right man kudos to brian for diving into this because, you know, I thought about it and found tape. And sometimes when you give a football junkie tape, it's like it's like giving an addict something like, hey, look, Brian. Oh. All right, guys. We are going to do Saturday Pick'ems. Um, again, your boys, 500 or better. We're rolling. We're going to look at the ACC seven games, and then we're going to look at three out of conferences. Brian, let's start tomorrow night. I will probably be tuned into this as will you as UVA goes down to Miami to play Miami. Miami is a five and a half point favorite. Since you are leading, you get the honor, sir. Uh, Miami legal limit UVA is but awful on defense. Holy crap. Did you watch some of that game against Wake? Oh, it, oh, 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 some of the tape where, it, like, the defensive lineman, like, did a push, got shoved It was 0-0. Zero, zero. This wasn't late in the game. They, no one was fatigued. <laughs> defensive <laughs> lineman playing playing titty-pat with the offensive lineman. And then you got the secondary just like, all right, well, the ball's in the air. I'm going to watch it for a bit here. It's going <laughs> to float into the end zone. Oh, shit, it's in the end zone. So, basically, first <laughs> drive of the game, surrender, Cobra? Ah, yeah. Right out the way, yeah. I'm with you. Miami, legal limit. Miami wins by 14, um, 42-28. All right. God, God. Duke UNC. (laughs) (laughs) UNC. It rears its ugly head again. Is a 19-and-a-half point favorite. 
We talked about it a few weeks ago. UNC is going to struggle with anyone who has a good defense. Duke does not have a good defense. If they get me again, they get me again. UNC wins by 21. They cover the 19 and a half, 49-27. I'm going to go UNC as well. Um, Because... (laughs) <laughs> number one it's duke number two unc if they don't do something then i mean i know we're picking against the spread here not outright winner but yeah. unc needs some style points at this point right yes <laughs> this is a good opportunity to get some style points against an in-state rival uh go and beat the fucking blue devils if you don't beat them by 19 points i'm not sure whether you got a pulse at this point well if they don't beat them by 19 plus points sam Howell's coming back next year which is going to screw up their quarterback of the future type thing because the way they've recruited. All right, Brian, you get to lead with this one. <laughs> Georgia Tech Pitt. Pitt is a three and a half point favorite. I gotta you- pick I gotta pick Georgia Tech against Kenny Pickett. <laughs> this is like my nightmare scenario. Worst game. <laughs> Why are you making me do this? Um because I had to pick Duke. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe I'm doing this. Give me Kenny Pickett. The Kenny uh, Pickett Pitts. Kenny Pickett Pitts. I'm I'm seriously trying to figure out how this game is three and a half. Um, I feel like the Vegas and, and Vegas builds the casinos and they're building more and now they're getting online sports book and having that house somewhere. So they're building more casinos. I can't see how this is a three-and-a-half-point game. It, it, for Pitt this year, even though they lost to Western Michigan, their offense most of the year has been productive in every game they played. Georgia Tech's defense played okay against UNC. They still gave up almost 30 points. Georgia Tech's offense has been the roller coaster ride that you don't – it's the big bad wolf. Yep. She had hurt you. Because you don't know what they're going to do. I don't know how they're getting three and a half point here. This line smells very fishy. I'm with you. Give me Pitt. All right, Brian. You get to lead the next one, man. I get to lead the next one, and I'm a little bit confused by this. So, Wake Forest coming off a pretty big win over UVA plays Louisville. Louisville, who, you know – you know, won last week against Florida State, only won by eight points. And, I mean, that game, you know, they scored 31 first-half points and then didn't score anything after that. You know, Louisville's 3-1, and one, their wins. Obviously, Ole Miss gave up 43 points. Eastern Kentucky, you know, we're not going to count that one. UCF, <laughs> and against a putrid FSU team, gave up 23 I see Wake's offense. I don't see how this is a seven-point game. I think Wake wins by 10. I think Wake wins somewhere in the neighborhood of like 38-28. Just because Louisville hasn't stopped anyone they played this year. Yeah. Um, so give me Wake. I'm taking Wake because I'm taking – I'm almost taking Wake to to be the team coming out of the uh, Atlantic Ooh. if they can – if if they can get – 
everything they keep it steady because right now I think they have a good balance of of defense, passing game, rushing attack. Um, they're always well coached. They're always solid on special teams. Um, I just think they're they're that classic, uh, you know, just well structured team that if if they get one or two things go their way um, in every game, they they can pull it out against anybody. So um, I'll take Wake here in the and uh, lay the seven. Um, I, I like. Louisville has kind of shown a pulse the last couple of weeks, but I feel like Wake's just too, yeah, more, a more well-rounded team and is going to handle them. Wake is a crisp executing machine on offense right now and just a very steady-as-you-go defense. Yep. All right. Let's figure this one out, Brian, as you lead. Syracuse plays FSU. FSU has not won a game. As I mentioned, Louisville scored 31 on them in the first half last week. So the game was over. They they fought and got to 23. FSU's a four-and-a-half-point favorite. And, I mean, I, I know, Brian, that this game this week, you know, is at, is at Florida State. But if you saw the look of the crowd there last week, it's not the Florida State of old. It's, it's like 60% capacity. They've I, reached full apathy. Um, oh, they are apathetic. Yeah, you know, let, let's talk real quick about, you know, if we had to roll the dice on the Memphis coach, we at least got the better of the two. Oh. <laughs> are you sure? Or was he just in a no-win situation down there? You know what? I don't care about no-win situation, man. If, if, we were, if we were pulling the, the stacked classes that they did here and were winning like that, Fuente would have been gone two years ago. True. Very true. Very true. So, Brian, are you taking them? Hell no. Give me cues. I'm right with you. I don't care if Syracuse (laughs) is coming off a very big win in the Dome last week. Syracuse, to me, is just too well-rounded. This is another one of those smelly, smelly lines because I think people are going to – they're doing that to say, well – People are going to just see Florida State and just lay it because of Syracuse. If this line was week one or two, I think you could have seen yeah. people jump all over uh, FSU here, especially true. the way they um, competed wire to wire with Notre Dame. Very true. Um, but having, weeks, having seen the last three weeks, uh, you know, <laughs> jury's out here. Um, jury's out completely. Syracuse wins um, closer than – Enough to enough to four getting four and a half as a road dog, enough to cover. Um, I mean, I but, think Hughes wins outright, so that, that, yeah, that's where I'm at. I'm <laughs> All right, here we go, Brian. NC State off the huge upset of Clemson last week in Raleigh gets Louisiana Tech this week. NC State's laying 20 and a half. I'm gonna make this one short and sweet. It's a hangover game for them. They're gonna win, they're not gonna win by more than three touchdowns against La Tech. You know what? I'm going to go against you here. We're going to finally have a pivot point here. Pivot! <laughs> I, I see NC State. I think, you know, you, you say hangover. I say Clemson is the game that kind of refocuses them and say we still got something to play for here. It's true. Uh, so they so they come in focused and ready to, ready to go. I think they take care of business. All right, Brian. We, we finally decide, decipher there. 
All right, man. Well, let's go talk about Clemson. This week, they get BC coming into town. 15-and-a-half-point favorites are the Clemson Tigers in Death Valley. It is going to be a night game. It is going to be on the ACC network. Over under 46-and-a-half, Brian. What are you thinking on this one? Um, Give me the under. Um and okay. give me BC, and I, this this line would have been again some of these lines. The, I guess a lot of this is like playing on history because, I mean, right now nothing has told me that Clemson can beat any Power Five team by fifteen and a half points. So <laughs> I'm going to <laughs> think that a pretty good BC team, even without their starting quarterback, they've shown they can pivot their offensive style, lean on their power running game. They've got a solid defense. It's better. It's improved from last year. It's not giving up some of the big gashing runs to quarterbacks um, like it was last year. So I'll take BC. I I can probably tell you why I think you're going to go the other way, though. Well, I am going the other way. Why am I going the other way? You're going the other way because it's a fucking put-up-or-shut-up week for Clemson after that loss to NC State. And anytime Dabo gets into those put up or shut up games, his teams come out and respond. I also think it's Dennis Grossell's. Essentially, this is going to be his third game on tape. And I think Brent Venables is going to have him pretty much eaten alive. I take the under two. Um, and I think Clemson wins something like 20. It's not going to be much. It's barely going to cover. Something like 24-7, maybe 31, um, maybe 31-20. Or excuse me, thirty-one ten. I don't think BC. I don't think BC is getting to fourteen points. So I'm going to take Clemson on this one. Okay. All right, all right. That wraps the ACC. Let's go out of conference, Brian. Um, three pretty big games in several different conferences. Let's start in the SEC. Alabama, Ole Miss. Old buddy, Lane Kiffin, Nick Saban. As every Alabama game is from the month of uh, after SEC play starts, it's on CBS at three thirty. Not yep. shot. Bama ready for this line? Yep. Bama laying fourteen and a half over under seventy nine and a half. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to wonder what they know here because <laughs> you know I, I think Bama's a really good team, but I think Ole Miss keeps it close through the duration. Um, I think it's like a 10, 10 point, 10 point win for, for Bama there. Um, so give me Ole Miss. Um, I know Mike Wilbon, it doesn't like me doing that. Uh, he <laughs> thinks that Lane Kiffin is a clown. Um, but I, I will say that he might be a clown. Um, but when he is focused on a goal, he does a pretty good job of, of, of keeping his teams competitive, even against quality competition. So I'll go with Ole Miss here. Right. I'm going to go with Ole Miss, too. So we're, we're back to agreeing again. And I think it's super close. And I think it's super close enough that if you wanted to throw a few bucks on the money line, because I think the money line is going to be so favorable for Ole Miss, I think they can get them. I think Ole Miss – I think Lane can outscore Bryce Young without okay. without the receivers. The over is 79. This game went to like 112 last year. 111, excuse me. It's 63-48 was the final Alabama. And then the previous year, same way, it went pretty high with Lane. 
I mean, Kiffin knows how to expose the biggest defenses. Now the question is going to be is is Kiffin if he keeps continuing to do well here, does the place that left him on a tarmac give him another call? <laughs> or, or does he say, you know what, forget that. I don't feel like being left out in the cold again. But Ole Miss definitely covers. Think about the money line. If you're getting good odds, I think Ole Miss could pull the big upset here in Tuscaloosa. All right, Brian. Next one. Let's go out to the Big 12. I had to throw a little off here because we hadn't really done much Big 12 with the exception of West Virginia or Oklahoma. But Baylor and Oklahoma State. Both 4-0, both ranked in the top 25. Baylor with the big upset win last week at Iowa State. Oklahoma State, big upset win over Kansas State. So both are coming in off two big wins. Um, Oklahoma State with the Boise State win going up there at a night game winning. And, you know, other than the Iowa State, this is kind of the second big test for Baylor. This is going to be in Stillwater with a night kick. And as much as I love Dave Aranda, he's a hell of a defensive coordinator. I think Gundy gets this one. And I'll lay the three and a half points. Give me Okie State. You know what? I'm right there with you. Um, I think Baylor's going to have a little bit of a, of a hangover from a big win. Um, you're playing in a tough environment. Um and I think Gunny is going to get those guys ready to go. So I'll take Okie State there. All right, we're agreeing on that one. All right. To me, this is the biggest game of the weekend. I'm not sure if ESPN game day – actually, where is game day going to be this week, Brian? You look that up real quick. Great question. Hang on. Because there's three big games. We're not we're not picking the Arkansas-Georgia game. Um, I didn't want to do dual SEC. Um because that's a big game, Sam Pittman returning to Georgia, where he coached the offensive line for several years and several playoff runs. He's efforting, efforting, efforting. Well, while Brian does that, um, Cincinnati at Notre Dame, the line just went down a few minutes ago. Cincinnati is the road favorite laying two points against the Irish. Cincinnati – is 3-0, and Notre Dame's 4-0. Cincinnati with wins so far over Indiana, Miami of Ohio, and Murray State, so not the biggest. While, while Notre Dame, if you watch the fourth quarter of that game, just laid the absolute smackdown on Wisconsin in every single way. Uh, we got game day in Athens, Georgia. I don't like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm not knocking like where they go, but for real, you're good. If this was at Arkansas, do it. They don't go to Fayetteville much. To me, you go to South Bend. You give Cincinnati that spotlight that day. You give Georgia the spotlight all the time. All right, Brian, two point game. Who do you think? I'm taking Notre. I'm taking Notre Dame mainly because I want Notre Dame to get another good win before uh, we get them. Um, I want that game to be as big and meaningful as possible because if we can figure out a way to get it done, uh, then that that's all the better for us. Absolutely. Um, and and I'm I'm with you. And I'm not with you because of 
I want them to come in undefeated. I want them to come in ranked probably it could potentially be in the top five with that win, um, especially with numerous teams above them playing good opponents. Yep. But I think this is the Marcus Freeman game. I think Marcus Freeman, who had been with Luke Bickle for quite a few years, probably knows enough ins and outs. And you can say the same thing. Well, Fickle knows his defense in and out too. The difference is Fickle knows his defense in and out. Fickle now has to deal with his defense in the ins and outs with stacked top 10 classes and top elite defenders. Yep. And as good as Fickle is as a coach, I think Notre Dame wins this one. So a home dog getting points. Let's lay that on the line. We're both going Notre Dame. Um, we only disagreed on two games, Brian. So if, if you like our statistics of when we bet together, which I think we're running at like a 70% clip when we agree on things, take your money. Those games we agreed on, go lay them. Yeah, we got we got a good card this week, guys. Got a very good card this week. Anything breaking in the last hours here? I haven't seen anything, buddy. Oh, man. Looks like we're free and clear. All right. Well, let's wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBD.com to listen to all of our episodes. Also, rate review there. Tell us what you like. Also, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe to the YouTube. Subscribe to our YouTube account or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Check him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And as always, let's go. Hokies.